Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We exist to be a community that seeks God and serves people. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And now let's get back to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. So we are in our last week of our Advent series, and I just, I love this season. It seems to hit all the right emotions for me. Uh, It seems to represent life in a nutshell very well because it deals with the pain of life, but it also deals with the hope that we are waiting upon. So for me, Advent is just something that I always look forward to because I know that the pain in life is not the final answer. It's not the end of our story. So this week, I just want to wrap up with a message of hope. And I'm going to go ahead and probably share my screen most of this message. Uh, I think I got the margins over far enough so you can still see my face. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in this morning. So our message today is wait no longer. And we deal with this prophetess, this woman who is so dedicated to God named Anna. And her story is a really compelling one. In fact, I can't remember the last time I heard a Christmas message that primarily dealt with Anna. So I was like, I'm going to be a little bit different today. We're going to go ahead and see what her story is all about and how that provides us hope for our lives here today. But as we think about Anna, this woman that we clearly see who is just waiting on God, I just wanted to ask us a question to start off. How much change have you witnessed over your lifetime? It doesn't matter whether you are 10 years old or whether you are many decades old, like me. (laughs) It doesn't matter what age you are. How much change have you witnessed so far in your life? And chances are that you have seen a lot of things change even in a short amount of time. Uh, the first thing I think of is technology has changed even significantly in the past 10 years. But beyond that, I wonder what it's like to see a century's worth of changes. And the good news is we have somebody relatively locally who has lived a little bit more than a century and has lived through uh, the Spanish, the Spanish flu. She lived through World War I. She lived through World War II, the Great Depression. She lived through the Cold War. And now she has lived and survived so far through the coronavirus. Her name is Margaret Lewis. She lives in Hamilton. She's 103 years old. Trying to, so she was born in 1917. Imagine how many things you have seen change if you lived from 1917 until at least 2020. I think of the last 10 years and I think of just how crazy it is that we have supercomputers in our pockets at all times, pretty much. She has witnessed even the birth of computers. She has seen so many things change and it's almost like you just want to meet this person and just glean her wisdom and see what has changed so much and maybe what warnings we should heed in witnessing all of those changes. But Anna is another character in, according to Luke's gospel, who saw an incredible amount of change in her lifetime. And I want to put this really into perspective for you. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that Jesus was born 
around 4 BC. So if she was born in 4 BC, sorry, if Jesus was born in 4 BC, then Anna, who is at least 84 when she meets Jesus, has lived 15 years free from Roman rule because the Romans didn't come and conquer the land of Israel until 63 BC. So she had 15 years of freedom that she witnessed. And I do want to say this though, I'll get to get to this in the next slide. That freedom was kind of fragile. It wasn't like maybe you and I experienced some freedoms here, but it wasn't the same as Roman rule either. So if she is 84 years old, according to Luke's gospel, when she meets Jesus and spending most of that time as a widow, then the first 15 years of her life are in a little bit of freedom. Just imagine all the change that she would have seen, though. If you go from living in this land and you're free to be a Jewish person, you're free to worship God the way that you believe you're supposed to worship God, and then things start to suddenly change. So before the Roman conquest of Israel, they had semi-autonomy. And here's what I mean by that. They were free in word, but not always in deed. So they had a lot of freedom, but they also had faraway empires that kind of installed leaders to kind of fulfill their agenda. So for example, you have the Seleucid Empire, you have the Hasmonean dynasty, you have people that are installed in Jewish leadership that aren't necessarily faithful leaders. And one of the things you'll notice when you start reading the Gospels is that there's not just a chief priest, but there are chief priests, plural. And you'll notice right away if you read the Old Testament, that's not the way it was supposed to be. There's not supposed to be plural chief priests. There's only supposed to be one. So obviously there's some compromise going on here. So she's going to witness, Anna's going to witness this change of obeying the Jewish law to this major compromise. Who can get the most out of the people that are ruling over Jerusalem at that time? But during the time that Rome ruled Israel, Anna would have seen the Temple Mount being constructed. One of Herod the Great's masterpieces is the Temple Mount. But she also would have seen revolt after bloody revolt. Um, it is not an understatement to say that turmoil is a great way to describe the time right before Jesus was born and even during the time that he lived. To have the Romans ruling over Israel, and I've said this many times, is not the envisioned plan that the people of Israel had for themselves. They never expected a foreign pagan king to be ruling over them, to be creating their taxes, to be telling them how to live their lives. It was not in their vision to have this. And Anna would have seen this life of going from relative freedom to pretty much no freedom. Now, at some point, I would love to do some kind of discussion about this, but there were so many Jewish groups that had differing views on how they should interact with Rome, especially being the new dog in town. Rome would have been this 
unshakable force that they just could not stop. But you still had groups that said, let's compromise and be a part of the Roman system. You had other groups that said, let's just distance ourselves completely from the Romans. And then you had people that said, that's not good enough. We need to stage a revolution against our oppressors. And she would have seen the bloody results of that. It would have been horrifying. She would have seen that. But here's what I want to just want to really drive home for you. In the midst of all of these things that are happening, and for example, I've, I think I've shared this once before, that there is an example in the works of Josephus, a Jewish person who's a contemporary of Paul and Jesus. He writes that there was a moment where the Romans installed an e a statue of an eagle on the temple. And to do that was absolutely a no-go because it's an idol in their eyes. That's idolatry in a nutshell. If you put and worship an image in your temple, you are saying, I'm worshiping another God. That's not the way Jewish people would have done it. What happened was a group of zealots came together. They climbed the temple mount and they chopped down the statue because they thought they were trying to do the right thing. They were zealous for God. And what happens, there's a massacre of Jewish people as a result of this. Those men are completely destroyed. And then several other Jewish people are killed in that moment too. All of that because of zeal. She witnessed a lot, but look what she does. She doesn't join the revolution. Anna doesn't compromise with the Roman authorities. She doesn't distance herself either from the problem. What Anna does, as according to Luke's gospel, is she never left the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She never left the temple. And let me just remind you one more time. She's at least 84. That's a conservative estimate. She might be a little bit older. We, we can't really do the math there, but we know that she spent the majority of that lifetime widowed. She didn't have her husband. She was alone. And what did she do? She was in the temple all the time, worshiping God. That is an amazing picture. And she is waiting for decade after decade to see if the hope of Israel would come at last. If you've been in Laura's class, she does refer to Daniel chapter 9, where it's, there's this idea that this is the prime time that if Daniel's math is right, it's been about 490 years, it's time for the Messiah to come. So you can bet that she's probably one of those people waiting and anticipating that the Messiah is going to come and that things are going to be set right once and for all. She's waiting decade after decade. But what I want to tell you, and what I want to what Anna wants to tell us through Luke's gospel is this, your weight is worth it. Your weight is absolutely worth it. And Anna finally has this moment where the hope of Israel, the hope, which is also the hope of the world comes in the flesh. It comes in the form of a child. His name is Jesus. And she knows 84 years at least in witnessing so much turmoil, so much change, and she finally sees 
the truth come to pass that hope has come in the form of a child. Your wait, Anna, has been worth it. Your wait, Daniel, has been worth it. Your wait, Central Church of Christ, is worth it. That's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is not how many gifts can I accumulate? How many things can I have, you know, coming into my stocking or under my tree? It is not about that. It is 100% about your weight, the pain that you are enduring right now. It is worth it. Don't give up. Don't fall to the sidelines. Stick with it and endure. But not only this, if I could say it one more way, I would say that your redemption has come. Friends, your redemption is here. It's not a future thing that we're just waiting for. We already have the redemption today. It is yours if you want it. You don't have to wait anymore. And I just want to emphasize over and over again, you don't have to wait until you die for redemption. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, my redemption has come. His name is Jesus. He already accomplished his victory, as Chuck and Sandy were mentioning earlier, that he came to go to the cross and to die for us. And when he came and died for us, he overcame not only our sin, but everything that is wrong in the world. He defeated the sin in us, and he defeated the powers of darkness. He is victorious. Your redemption has come. What Jesus is going to do when he returns is he is going to bring that victory to its completion. That is the message of Christmas. So Jesus has come. Your redemption is here. Don't wait any longer. Don't throw it to the side. I'm going to stop sharing my screen because I want to just end this message with a simple story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is someone that I've referred to more than once and probably won't be the last time I talk about him. But his story is utterly compelling to me because he's someone that wrestles with the difficulty of what to do when life is flipped upside down. And one of the moments of his life is actually the end of his life that I wanted to reflect on today. And I just want to ask you rhetorically what it means when it feels like all hope is gone. Because I want to speak a message of truth and hope to that. So here's what's going on at the end of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. The camp doctor where Bonhoeffer was arrested and in jail, he witnessed this. And this is what the camp doctor says. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. And the question we want to ask is, 
for example, did did Bonhoeffer die without hope? Could God have just rescued him from the gallows? Could he have made that execution attempt fail? Because here's the crazy thing. Not two months after his execution, Europe was liberated. Talk about feeling like things fell through and didn't work out. Talk about things that feel like hope failed in that moment. But there's a different message. Because Bonhoeffer's hope did not fail at his execution. And I think he would say the same thing. His hope did not die at the gallows. Because his hope is beyond that. And I'm sure that Anna felt much of the same thing. And many Christian martyrs through the, through the history of the church probably felt the same thing. Turmoil has overtaken us. Life is not what we thought it would be. Does the message of Christmas have anything to say to that? And in that moment, that's when we see the Christ child himself comes completely vulnerable. He comes and he's not the military leader that everybody hoped for. He's not the one that was going to overthrow the Roman government. He's not the one that would compromise with the Romans. He's not the one that would deal with the Jewish people that they didn't like. He's not the one that they expected him to be. He was so much more. He's the hope of the world precisely because he does what no one else would do. He willingly gives himself. He willingly gives himself because he knows that that's not the end of the story. And that the message of Christmas is this, that somehow, someway beyond all of the turmoil that we face in life, all the things that we might've seen already, even if that means our own death, it means that God will fulfill his promise of new creation because Jesus began that project precisely in his death and his resurrection in the ministry of his Holy Spirit that's here with us now. Even as we're Zoom calling, Jesus' Holy Spirit is within us and among us. I just want to empower you to go out into the world into whatever you're going to face this week, whatever you're going to face the rest of your life for that matter, but go knowing that your living for Jesus is not in vain. It is not vanity. And I know that there's so much even just going with, on within our own community. But hear this. This is not a message of failure. Anna could have just stopped praying after 10 years, and people probably wouldn't have blamed her. But she went on for decade after decade until it would happen. She was persistent in that. How persistent are we going to be? How much are we willing to endure to keep this up? Let's do this. Let's do this together. Because even beyond death, the witness of the gospel will still go out. Because there is life beyond death. There is life beyond death.
keep going, endure, and know that the work you do in Christ is not in vain. Let's pray, and then let's, let's sing Silent Night together. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for the faithful example of Anna, the way that she shows us what persistence means, what it means to persevere, to be a person who worships with their whole life, and to know that our wait will one day be over. And in one sense, that wait is already over because Jesus has come. Not only that, but Jesus is on the throne right here and right now. So we submit to that. We submit all of our worries. We submit all of our heartaches, all of our challenges. We lay it at your feet and we say, take this, Lord, and somehow turn it into a message of hope for others. As costly as that is, we know that the reward is far greater. Just as Anna saw that, just as Bonhoeffer saw that, just as countless men and women of the faith have shown us that the reward is far greater than the cost. Let us be willing to give of ourselves this Christmas. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.